Wow, that was amazing, guys. <clears throat> that was so uh, inspiring, that music. Just, uh, you know, sometimes uh, music, you just uh, get a little lost in a, it's a little glimpse of, of just what we long for, we look forward to, that sense of community and, uh, and praise together. It's powerful. It really moves me. And I was, admit, I was a little distracted by the really hot bass player this morning. <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? She's my, she's my wife, for those of you who don't know. My wife, Ron, it's her very first time playing bass, bass guitar. But she is really hot. Um, God approves of that kind of thing. She's my beloved. 20 years this year. Pretty good. Let's just keep thinking of things to, to say, to be excited about. Right? Let's not do the sermon. We'll just mention stuff and then we'll all go, woohoo! Right? God is moving in our community. Um, Susan is here this morning. Woo. Yeah. So um, I'm going to pray before we start. It's our deepest need. And we have to remember that, uh, you know, it's as we pray that we, we find ourselves aligning in our hearts and our minds with, with the Lord. Uh, he does work with us as we pray, as we uh, consider the words that we use and uh, and together, that is a powerful thing we are told. It seems like sometimes the simplest thing to do. But when we get busy, it's the first thing that goes, usually. Um, you know, I can read books all the time. I love reading books. And uh, I can listen to podcasts and all that stuff. But sometimes just getting quiet and praying is like the hardest thing for me to do. Um, as it is, I'm sure, for many of you. And it is the greatest, most powerful thing we can do as a body. So let us go uh, to prayer. Lord, we, uh, we praise you for music. It's that mysterious way that it connects through our intellect and into our hearts. Um, and we can't really describe it, but we know it when it happens when, when we feel an engagement with you through the words that we sing and, and our brokenness just seems there's beauty in it in the light of your love for us. Um, and we don't have to despair and especially when we're together doing that, Lord, we just feel that strength of communion and community. And Lord, we just thank you for the, those who led us this morning in worship. And bless them, Lord. Give them depth of insight, especially for Tyler, Lord, as he plans and prays through the songs that he brings. I just pray that you would uh, give him wisdom and discernment to know how you are moving in our community, in our body, in our church. And uh, and in his own life, and uh, that you would guide him to the songs that your people need to sing to proclaim your goodness uh, for us and for all people. And Lord, we pray for the churches and the organizations, whether they're meeting this morning or they're doing good work around this, these neighborhoods. Um, Lord, empower them by your Holy Spirit uh, to dig deep into relationship with you and with one another and to... Um, just send them, Lord, we pray, into the, into the dark places with your light. And we thank you for them, our brothers and sisters. Lord, bless them, we pray. And Lord, we pray for our nation, our world. So much strife, so much anger, hatred, and, and wickedness and cruelty, but also so much beauty, so much joy. Um, Lord, we just, we were grateful for uh, all that we see, and we pray that you would be the overcomer in the lives of those who, who struggle day to day 
And Lord, may you send your people into those situations that, that they would be answers to prayer uh, wherever they go. And we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Uh, and this time we have this morning together to hear from you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So I have a new t-shirt I'm wearing. This is actually for the men's retreat. So if you're, if you're the wrong gender, you won't get one of these. And if you didn't sign up for the men's retreat, you won't get one of these. We're going to make some t-shirts though. Uh, this was, was from, a, in our summer series, we, had a, we produced little buttons. And the sermon was called Revolution, the Gospel as Reversal. Just the whole concept that, that as, as Christ enters into our community, uh, everything is up for reevaluation, and so many things that we think are the standard practice for human life are turned completely upside down. The powerful are, are, to, are brought down, the, the lowly, the humble, the marginalized are, are lifted up, and everything is turned upside down, it makes your head spin when it happens. Uh, and so we had this uh, kind of a fist of protest, but there's a love heart saying this is a revolution of love. Uh, as God intended, and it says our, our logo uh, says, follow, love, do, to follow Jesus, to love people, and to do good. And, and sometimes it seems like in light of the evil in our world, uh, you can become weary of, of trying to do good, especially when it's things like prayer. People say prayers and thoughts and prayers and thoughts and prayers, right? It's like ineffectual, doesn't make any difference. We need to do something about this. Sometimes just being a, being a follower of Jesus, it feels like you don't have the power even though we talked last week about the power of Jesus <clears throat> to make change in the world, you feel that you're lacking in power. And it seems that evil always seems the potential just to overcome the good, even that good that we see in our world. I mean, consider the past week in America. I'm not sure you heard about this, but on Wednesday, a man with a history of violence shot and killed two African-Americans in a Kentucky Kroger store after trying to actually get into a an African-American church and didn't manage to get in there. So he went to the market and he shot dead two people he didn't even know. Um, mail bombs sent to all these various people this week because of, of a hatred for a particular political perspective, um, which luckily they were all intercepted and, and no one was injured in that. Then yesterday morning at a synagogue, a place of shalom, peace, uh, people gathered for their morning uh, Sabbath worship and 11 people were gunned down, shot dead by someone with a, who had uh, regularly uh, posted anti-Semitic things online and, and uh, just tragic. How does this happen in this world? <clears throat> why, would, uh, why would someone uh, hate people with darker skin than them enough to shoot them in cold blood? Why would someone be so filled with rage and anger toward a, a political perspective that they would take the time and effort to create and mail bombs to people? Why would someone walk into a synagogue on a Saturday morning and indiscriminately murder 11 people with whom they have, they've never exchanged any conversation, but simply because of their religious identity as Jewish people? You know, I don't know all the answers to that. I'm sure you don't know either, but you know, it just makes me want to get on my knees and just say, God, help us, right? Um, if we are paying attention, uh, there, is, there is so much of this happening all around us. These are just the ones that we hear reported. But I think it's got a lot to do with, <clears throat> with certain things. It's got a lot to do with, with words and attitudes. You know, words are powerful. 
And, and attitudes uh, are formed by, but when, you, when you're in a constant state of, of the same repetitive messages given, it, it does changes. It starts to change our, our perspective, and it can lead to actions. It can lead to dreadful acts of violence. And it's really about ideologies, like ideas, like the way we believe or think about certain things in our world have consequences. And, and there are some ideologies and ideas that do indeed create great suffering, and there are other ideologies or ideas that, that seem to alleviate some of the suffering in the world. And, and they're present in our world and available to be followed, to be picked up on. Uh, the idea that any one particular race or culture or religion is somehow subhuman or substandard or a danger to the rest of us will result always in terrific suffering, dreadful things. The idea that all humans are worthy of respect, impartial justice and representation, freedom and kindness from others leads to the alleviation of suffering. It leads to just systems of law and order, to hospitals, fair and accessible legal counsel and organizations that provide for those who are hungry and those who are victimized. An ideology that says people are valuable. And there are a great many ideologies that we can choose from. And it's not always immediately apparent at first what the outcome of them will be. You may go down some road of idea which may lead to dreadful things. Something at first that seems somewhat benign or even beneficial to the human race. Um, and you know, the, the, the ideas at the root of these things are, are ideas about very basic concerns. What it means to be a human being. What does it mean to do good? And what is a person? Do they have value? How would you calculate that value? Um, when is a person a person? How should we best live alongside others? These kind of basic questions. They always say in polite company, don't talk about religion or politics, right? Like what else is there of significance to talk about then? The Dodgers winning last night, yeah? Did they win? No, sorry. They didn't win. They were robbed, as far as I'm concerned. But you know, like politics is basically about the, the idea of how to uh, further human existence and, you know, and, and health when there's limited resources and competing ideas about how they should be used. That's what politics is. That's a pretty important thing to talk about. And religion, don't talk about that, is basically about these questions of ultimate questions of life and value and, and what is the proper way to live? What is the purpose of human life? Uh, what else are we going to talk about? Um, so as, as people who I hope want to bring good into this world and not evil, and especially those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus, then I, then I think it's important for us to know what our, our ideology is and what might be the consequences of that. The Christian ideology, and not as cultural Christianity, it's just another sort of, uh, you know, whatever it might be, it's, it's almost uh, synonymous with uh, being a football fan, you know, I'm just a church fan, you know, I go there, but it doesn't really do much, much more in my life except it entertains me, or it's how I was raised, it's what we do, you know, it's what we always do. I'm talking about the, the Christianity that Jesus talked through his life and his words and his example. So this passage, we're in Acts today, chapter four, and this passage, I think, tells us a lot about, about what might happen if we choose to follow this particular ideology as opposed to any other. First thing it tells us is that things might get rough for us. 
we choose to follow Jesus, things might get really difficult for us. And it also tells us that we should actually expect opposition. Not that it might happen, but you should expect opposition. And actually, the fact that you face opposition is probably going to tell you, perhaps, that you're on the right track in this world. And even better, it assures us that we can persevere together in doing good. Because both our glory and our suffering are all held within the, in the sphere of an, an ultimate and sovereign God who is love and that, who promises he will right all wrongs. That we, in, a, in aligning ourselves with him, nothing can stop this force in the world if we will choose the higher ideology such as this. So let's read uh, Acts 4. I'm not going to ask anyone to read it because it's quite long. Unless anyone's desperately wanting to read this morning. Anyone? Okay. So chapter 4 of Acts, uh, God's story, and then the story of the early church, and how does this connect with our story? It says the priests and the captain, remember they, they've just actually healed this guy who was lame from birth. And um, Peter gets another opportunity to, to interpret what has happened, saying this is what was always promised. Something significant is happening here that, that all of our history has been leading up towards and it has arrived now and everything's going to change and you are invited to join this movement. So things turn, take a turn for the worst now. It says the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. No women believed, apparently. Just men. Which is, seems the opposite of today. Seems like women are, you know, pretty spiritual creatures. Yeah, Amen. Guys are too, yes, just differently. <laughs> we get nervous singing those songs about like loving Jesus and things like that, you know? We need some rousing hymns about, you know, smashing down things. <laughs> yeah. So the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they realized the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could, not, they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. 
So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. That's this, the council, the judgment group of that religion. And then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And we continue. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen? That's a great story. Just in terms of, you know, the plot and what happens, it's captivating. So who were these powerful men? The Sadducees, they are called. And why are these powerful men so upset? Man, chill out, guys. Um, they're greatly disturbed. Why such a res- strong response to the ministry of Jesus' followers? It's an act of kindness. Surely uh, such a thing, uh, a kind act toward a lame man shouldn't provoke such extreme hostility. Why are they so threatened by what the disciples are teaching and doing? So they were a group called the Sadducees. Uh, they were a religious group, certainly, but they were very political they're a very political uh, group of people. They were the aristocrats. <laughs> Come on, everybody wants to be a cat, right? <laughs> the aristocrats. You gotta be careful how you say that word. And, um, and they were wealthy, they were powerful, well-connected. And, and really their time was, was mainly spent, you know, both enjoying their prestige and, and, and figuring out how to keep it. You know, there was, it was a dangerous time and, and, you know, fortunes rose and fortunes fell. People would murder their own children or other, you know, at, or, you know, wives would murder the children of the other person to make sure their son ascended to the throne. It was a dangerous time. Kind of like Scottish history. It's just full of blood. Everyone, got, everyone gets murdered eventually in Scottish history. It's hard to keep track of all the kings because many of them didn't last very long. Uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, said about the Sadducees that they were more heartless than any of the other people when they sit in judgment. And they had the confidence of the wealthy alone. So the wealthy people liked them. 
And they weren't, uh, others weren't particularly fond of these people. Uh, and, but they only had their power because the Roman rulers, which often happens, you know, a, a powerful nation comes in and takes over, and they have kind of puppet rulers who will say, we'll take care of you, you'll be okay, but you make sure the people do what they're told and don't mess with our systems. So they were kind of in that place. So keeping their power depended very much on keeping the Romans happy, that there was no upset. So why were they so upset? Why were these men so upset? Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, many things in culture change, but the basic human doesn't change very often. And I think we have these things in common. I think you'll recognize maybe some of yourself. Most of you probably won't, because as I often say, you're practically perfect. But some of you, the most sinful ones, may recognize some of these things in your own life. Okay, the first one is that they were offended. They had offense and their pride was damaged by what these men were doing. So they're, they're talking about the resurrection. This is a central core topic for the disciples about the kingdom of God. The death, the greatest enemy, the thing that would take away all of your vitality, your life, it's the, it's the one thing that will leave everyone powerless, has been broken by Jesus. That death no longer has a sting, has no longer the cap- capacity to, to end all things for you, but there is life. And Jesus went first and he raised from the dead by the power of God and, and it offers that. Well, the Sadducees didn't believe in such things. They, had no, they, they did not agree that there was such a thing as a resurrection. Pretty much when you're dead, you're dead and that's it. So the, these disciples are going against their teachings. They're, they're talking about the resurrection and, and they're the authorities over, the Sadducees are like, this is wrong. You are wrong. But here's the thing. Accompanying the teaching of the disciples is life. They're talking about there's life available, death has been broken, and there's a, there are people being healed. So there's this genuine authority in their voice. You know, when people speak, you, you, can, you can say like, do they argue well? Uh, is, there, is there a passion in what they say? But is there actually actions to back up what they're saying? And imagine that, you're like, you talk, 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 and there's no actual evidence to show that anything you're saying is worthwhile or true. Then these upstarts come along, fishermen, dumb, uneducated people, and they're speaking with authority and they've got the action to back it up. Things are happening. You'd be kind of offended. Even worse than that, they take your scriptures and they use them to point out your hypocrisy. The thing that you believe is yours, like Christians sometimes do, this is my book. This is my word. This is my word from God. And he, so he quotes from the Psalms. Peter says, Psalm 118, the stone you builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Going right back into their old text that these guys had studied and studied and studied and missed the point. And Peter says, you are the people this is talking about and you have rejected the one who you say you've been waiting for. And then he also quotes from Psalm 2, one, uh, verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. He takes this text. This text was about the pagan nations around Israel back in the old days. And now he's saying that you too are like them. That's offensive to them. How dare you talk about us? Don't you know who we are? Anyone ever said that to you? There's like famous people everywhere down here, right? Anyone a cop here pulled someone over and said, don't you know who I am, right? 
people who say that believe very strongly in themselves and that that should never happen to them. They need to be protected from any kind of um, damaging, you know, question about their perfection. So it's not looking good. And you know, the disciples are just going about their, their calling, right? They don't intend to do this. You know, we don't go out into the world to say, to seek offense, right? Although some of us do, actually, I think. That's another sinner thing, you know, that Christians are not immune of, right? Sometimes we just want to annoy someone. We'll like, if I said this right now, this would really annoy this person. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say, well, haven't you ever read the Bible? Or don't you know that what you're doing is whatever, right? So it's not, it's, it's not going well, you know. Um, you know that feeling when your pride is hurt? Especially by someone who you think is beneath you, doesn't know as much as you, you know? This doesn't feel good, does it? What's your response? You're going to see this is how they respond. This is building up to this. Jealousy is the second thing. So upwards of 5,000 people now. Man, it says. So women and children... There's a large group of people who are following these followers of Jesus and are moving, converting over to the other church down the road. I know what that's like, man. You guys better not leave because it will hurt my ego and I'll be jealous. The good thing is God is the jealous one and he doesn't care where you go to church as long as you are attending in a body of believers and you're serving him. He doesn't care what t-shirt you wear, right? He just cares that you're wearing a t-shirt in church, okay? No shoes, no shirt, no service, okay? But jealousy, uh, it says, verse 21, all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The people were praising God. It's like when Jesus was here, they said he taught with authority, not like their teachers. Something was happening and, and people were moving and going like, Voting with their feet. Imagine you set up your little Sadducee stall to do your little talk and like no one showed up and then you hear this commotion around the corner and you go around the corner and there's, there's these like fishermen dudes and, and they don't have your degrees, right? Whatever, your education. And all these people are gathered to hear them. Jealousy. So it's like the disciples now have well over 5,000 followers on Instagram and the Sadducees only have about six and actually, it's their family. There's like some of their family, this particular Sadducee. It's his mom and his dad and his four brothers. He's following 25 people, but he's only got six. You know how Instagram works? So you're meant to follow people, then they follow you, then you unfollow them. So the number on the left looks bigger than the number on the right, and it gives you satisfaction that you're somebody. You know, the Sadducees would post things, and like no one would like it at all. And they're just like, am I, am I not special? I know how that feels, guys. Um, so this, this is a, I think we get this, jealousy. It's a thing, it's a, for us, it's the same feeling, man. It's like someone's messing with my power, my rights to prestige and to, to feel that I am, I'm good. Three, insecurity. So they didn't want to risk their security and their position, and it was dependent upon the Romans. They were very closely aligned with the Romans. Back in the Gospel of John, it says, they, these people say this, they say, if we let him, Jesus, go on like this, everyone believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. 
Like our structures, the, the thing that props up our power, the Romans will interfere with that if we let this thing continue. Because these Christians don't play well with this system. They will not bow the knee to Caesar like we will for the you know, purposes of an easy life and some, some wealth and some power and some land perhaps. These Christians don't seem quite so easily convinced uh, to do you know, what we believe is best for the empire. I am your son, Luke. No, I'm your father, sorry. So they're all about power, retaining their power. You know, and early on in the Christian movement, they don't seem to really care, but when this thing starts to start moving, they, they, pay, they take notice. They feel insecure, they're like, okay, this would happen, this could happen, this could happen, it, how will it affect me? And I think we can identify with that feeling too. You know, uh, things that cause us insecurity, especially with somebody else. What about you're, you've been working in a place for a long time, like 20 years, you know, you're kind of, a, you know, you're doing your thing, you know, you're kind of you're slacking off a little bit, you know, you're, you know, you've been there a long time and then this young upstart comes with a new degree and lots of information and knowledge about things and they bring some computers in and, and you know, and he can work them better than you can, but you feel like I'm older, he should respect me, but he's just doing his job, you know? And so you maybe think like, I'm gonna like, start spreading some kind of like bitterness about him, maybe like unnerved a little upstart, right? Whatever, it's insecurity. My position is being threatened and I, I need to do something about it. That's what our flesh says. I've got to take care of this. So, so indeed they did, didn't they? Um, we're gonna get to exactly what they did, but first just consider what did Peter and John do that was so bad to lead to imprisonment? Uh, I mean, later on, they're going to get flogged. They're going to get severely beaten. What was it that was so bad? They, Peter actually says, we are being called to account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame. It sounds a little sarcastic, actually. I like that. I like Peter. I'm sarcastic like Peter sometimes. You know, all we've done is to be kind to someone who's been lame since birth and he is healed now. What's your problem? Don't you care about people? They're just stuck in this place. But here's the thing. Like, as God calls us, as God called Jesus, and as God calls his followers, and he calls us, what made us seem like a simple act of kindness is actually a threat to the power and the authority of the day, the status quo, because as we go in, what God does, he moves into it. Like the whole gospel of reversal, he changes things around and it messes with the accepted strat, the strata of hierarchy and power. It always happens. When the resurrection power of Jesus begins to take root in us, we become a threat to power. Particularly when people's power depends on the entrapment or the coercion or the exploitation or in some way the diminishment of human beings whom Jesus loves and, or indeed the whole creation. If we're exploitative to gain our place and position, when Jesus steps in, he messes with that. And people don't like that. They don't like us messing with their systems, do they? So when... when um, you know, broken human systems all take the path of least resistance. It's always true. That's why, you know, they say jobs go abroad to where it's cheaper. That's why maybe some of my clothes are made by a, a you know, a seven-year-old child who gets paid nothing and, and works till their hands bleed, right? It's the path of least resistance, the human way, it's the system, right? Remember I talked about the t-shirt? I used to have it said, no one is innocent on it. 
I wore that with pride because I was like, that was my declaration. Even though I wasn't really walking close to God, I knew none of us are innocent. There's no one that can point the finger and say, you know, from a place of I am not guilty of any wrong in this world. So Jesus steps into a community and starts to change us that we will take responsibility for the wrong that we do. Not only that, but we will intervene in the situations that we see in the power of Christ. But we don't mean to cause trouble. We're not trying to make a fuss. We're just trying to follow God and be new people in this world, but it causes problems. And we're gonna see this in Acts. It's amazing, the pattern here is incredible. Chapter 16, there's a slave girl whose owners uh, are using her because she has a spirit that can somehow kind of predict the future and they're making money from this poor girl who's afflicted. Her owners are making money. Paul comes along and says, spirit, out of her. Now she's just a regular, everyday slave girl who can't make money for them anymore and they are mad. The text says, once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. When her owners realized after Paul cast the spirit out that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So there's an exploitative situation. Jesus people step into it and they do something about it. And people are mad because they're making money. Later on, the silver workers in Ephesus, they're, they're, uh, Paul preaches the gospel. People are coming to faith and realizing we don't need to spend ridiculous amounts of money on these silver statues in order to worship God because God is a God that is no idol. He's not made with human hands. He is here. He's, he's worship. You can worship him without this mediating thing that's making people money. Well, the people who make this stuff get very upset. One of them says in Acts 19, as you see and hear how this fellow Paul is convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. That's just the Christian message, right? Unintended consequences. There's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. They're just going about their business, following Jesus, sharing the good news, which, which frees people. And people are not happy. So this happens to the disciples, right? They're, they heal this man. The, the, the authorities are not happy. It's affecting their situation. It's maybe called their insecurity and their pride and their jealousy. And so they lock them up and then they command them to be silent, to not speak anymore in this name, Jesus. And it's just, it always it seems so out of balance, like the, the crime and the punishment. So what do the disciples do? How do they respond? Well, first they say, who should we listen to, you or God? And you're, telling, you're talking to people who say that they are faithful to God, right? Yeah, turning it around on them. Who should we listen to, you or God? And so it's kind of a, uh, a question, really only one answer. Of course you should listen to God. These uneducated men are running rings around these uh, very educated uh, aristocrats. But so then they get together again. Verse 24, it begins. Um, they pray. They go back to their place. And here's the thing. Their power to live is not from themselves. They, they are not on a, on a personal mission 
to change the world. They're on a mission to yield themselves to God as a means by which he then through them can do his work. And, they, and they've identified that this is something that they have been called to. They are compelled. We cannot help but talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. We want you to know this. It is changing our lives. And you leaders are just as trapped as the people you have entrapped in your system. You need to be set free too. They tell them the truth. But then they go back to their place and they say, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant. So Sovereign Lord is saying like, we affirm that despite what has happened and despite what may happen, you are Lord over all and you have called us and all things are yours. And then he refers to this thing of what David wrote about the nations, uh, just connecting it with their story that this is a natural part of, of the people of God will encounter trouble and persecution and opposition just as they go about what they're called to do. And then, then talks about even the fact that Jesus' crucifixion, God was not surprised by that and used all that. It's a confidence thing. No matter what happens to us, God, you will use it for your purposes and it will be good. Now, Lord, you consider their threats. You know, later on, uh, Jesus says to Paul, when he's per Saul persecuting the church, why are you persecuting me, Saul? God takes us personally. They recognize that. And then says, allow your servants to speak with great boldness. Because they are, they are people like us. They are afraid. You know, they feel weak, but they say, God, you give us the boldness that we need and help us to do the actual activity that... You have to change it. We can't do it. If we have words and nothing's happening, no one will believe us. Continue what you've been doing. Change lives, oh God, and we will speak. We will testify. We will witness. We will interpret what's happening as you lead us. And so they did, and they were prayed, and they filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word boldly. So there's the ideology of the early Christians, which I think our world needs for us. It needs, it needs us not to be our, our, our cleverest to think of the best ideas, but to yield ourselves to God's power. But recognize that it will, you will bump up against systems and powers that will react poorly to what you're being called to do. Um, the, the sermon title is, is from a quote, a quote from Martin Luther King Jr., uh, he says, the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. Um, and, and this is the confidence that ultimately that we have that uh, the, the original quote, yeah, it's, it's from a speech he did. It said, evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. Okay, that is the, the central thing of our, of our story, right? The first will be last, the last will be first. That we die to ourselves, we take up our cross and we serve, we follow and it may have us in a lowly position for a long time while others prosper and do well and exalt themselves above us, right? But he says, but that same Christ will rise up and split history into AD and BC so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And it's simply a way of saying that you may not see good triumph over evil today, but God is not slow in carrying out his promises. And you can be certain 
that that time is coming and you are asked to align yourself with his purposes. Because I would not want to be on the wrong side of that line when the judge of all comes into the world to judge us. What better than say, it's like surrender. Overwhelming forces say, you can come against me or you can follow me and I will do remarkable things through you in this world. Or you can continue to think that you know better. Continue on your, your way and think, I'm going to fix this. So does this stuff still happen today? We talk about the, the disciples at the beginning and they, they did this thing. And sometimes it seems a little fictitious. It's, in the, it's no miracles in the, in the Bible and things. Does this ever happen today? I just want to share with you three people who did this. And they did this because they believed in the ideology of, of a sovereign God who'd called them to, to serve. And they got in trouble for it. First one's William Wilberforce. Have you seen Amazing Grace, the movie? So he was a politician, and I heard actually a meeting we had recently with Chris Neal that he was, uh, I think it was he was talking about him, and he thought to leave his job as a politician in England and become a pastor, and, and uh, John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, who was his mentor, said, no, stay in your position. God wants to do things through you in your place, in your realm, in your political life, and he set out to abolish the slave trade, which only happened like a short time before he passed away, but he did see it happen. But he risked his career to do it. People thought he was crazy to do this, but he believed that justice was on the side of him because it was going to be done and he would fight to make it happen because of Jesus Christ and the power he'd been given. Jackie Pullinger, you ever heard of Jackie Pullinger? Most people have never heard of her. There's a book called Chasing the Dragon. And she had this remarkable kind of like encouragement from a pastor in London. She pretty much got on a boat and prayed to God to, tell, to get off the boat around the world when, when she's to stop. She ended up in Hong Kong. Ended up working in the walled city in Kowloon, which is a crime-ridden, really terrible place. This single woman by herself. And, and she saw the prostitutes and the heroin addicts and she prayed God. She was, started teaching in a small school and said, God, I want to, I want to, you're calling me to serve them. The triads ran all the drug stuff. They're a powerful organization, and she had so many close calls, but she persisted, and so many people. They had miraculous things. You read the book, it's amazing. Miraculous things happened for Jackie Pullinger. And Martin Luther King Jr., he had a dream, right? Uh, he could not believe. It's almost very, it's very similar. The Sadducees said they believed certain things. The disciples came along and showed the hypocrisy in what they said they believed because it wasn't taking place. And then they stepped in and they started to enact this different way of life. Martin Luther King Jr. as well, he said, your government says that all people are created equal. And this is not happening and this is wrong. And in Jesus' name, I come against this. And what happened to him? Ultimately, he was shot. He was stabbed first, survived, and then he was shot dead. And I think there, there's, this, these are the people God calls. And I think, should it be any different now? Do we live in a, in, a, in a fair and equitable and gracious and kind society where people in power are willing to give it up and just pass it away and share it? Are we? Does Jesus want to, to are people stuck in, entrapped in systems that keep them exploited? And what are we called to do about that? You know, I think we can sit in Bible studies and learn more about the Bible and we'll be completely ineffective. And I think we often have done that. I've done that so many times. I'm like, oh, I learned so much more about Revelation tonight. That's so great. 
that I go home again um, and, and nothing really happens. I think God's calling us not to go be troublemakers, not to march with picket signs, but to be faithful, but understanding that when you are called by God and you step in to these situations, coming alongside broken people who are trapped in situations, you may encounter, in fact, you probably will encounter resistance and trouble. But I think that's how we discover our, our calling in our lives. There's a quote by William Willimon I want to share with you. He says, in the rhythm of action and speech, witness and worship, the church discovers the source of its life. And I think that, ha- that happened in Acts. They, faith, they were faithful to continue to pursue what God called them to do. They discovered the source. They were empowered as they went, as they did it in witness and word and action and worship. And there was a, just a, 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 an energy in their community. And people took notice and many did not like it. When I, when I, I mentioned this, this group before. They're up in the Tenderloin, not the restaurant in Laverne. That got a little confusing last week in first service when I was talking about the filthy sidewalks being swept off of excrement and urine in the morning at the Tenderloin. I feel like I'm never going to that restaurant again. But uh, in the first service, someone went, yeah, Tenderloin. I'm like, why are you saying yeah about that? It's a really sad place. Um, but there's a group there called City Impact, and I just love their slogan, and it says, they exist to intervene. And they do that in so many ways, and I think that's a really beautiful picture for what God calls us to do. Like, we intervene. We don't, we're not the ones that stand back. We ask God to help us to be bold. We see injustice. We see suffering. We see someone who is lost, and we intervene. It may just be to tell them that Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. It may be uh, to give food to a hungry person, wherever it might be. And, and if all of us are doing that in our community, that's a powerful thing. Um, you know, important thing to remember that uh, we are not tame. I think the church sometimes seems like a tame, you know? Like not, there's a criminality about Christianity that we forget, you know? There was a time when Christians were criminals for healing people. <laughs> you know, would we be willing to be criminals uh, because we love people too much, because we love the wrong people in the wrong ways, because we, you know the guy who was trying to feed the homeless in San Francisco and was getting arrested for feeding people downtown because the city ordinances said you can't do that, you can't feed people. He was made a criminal. Um, but every passage that we do, there's one thing we've got to remember. Often we think about ourselves as being the heroes of the passage. We're the apostles, we're the disciples, we're, marg- you know, we're getting badly maligned. What about if we're the oppressors? You know, are we in power? We've got a lot of power. Does Jesus want to maybe step into our lives and uh, cause us to feel jealous, prideful, insecure? You've got to remember that too. That sometimes we actually are like the Sadducees more than the disciples because we want to maintain our position. We want to maintain our comfort. We don't want anything to upset it. Jesus is the ultimate upsetter. If you invite him into your life, you're going to be like the Sadducees. Put him in jail and shut him up. I don't like what he's doing in my life. He's taking me out of my comfort zone. So we have to, we have to think about these things. And we are going to go to a time of reflection. Um, I apologize it's been a bit heavy today, but it's been a really heavy week. You know? Um, 
I just can't fathom. I just think about it here, you know. It's, it's more and more becoming part of life. You think if we were here and then some gunman came in, you know, and it's just, it's horrific. To, and that's it's words, it's words. People talking to each other about what they think about people who are different from them, whatever it might be. And it, it creates this toxic thing and we are called to come against that. When you hear someone making racist comments, do you speak out? Do you say anything about it? Like we should say, that is no way to talk about another human being. I find myself in the face of stuff and I've not intervened, I've not said what, what I believe God would want me to do and say, you know? It's a big, it's a big job. Hi, Rana. Looking good. So I just encourage us to just take a little time, uh, this, this whole thing, just to kind of reflect on, on just something in your life. Is it something about giving up your power? Um, saying to God, I'll be okay with being insecure or, or passed over or um, my ego being bruised or my pride being, you know, set aside. If I could just know you in that. Or, or Lord, help me to be the person that would see and would intervene in situations with your wisdom, God, with your power. I'm just gonna, uh, by means of a prayer, this is from Hebrews, uh, as we go to worship. And if you need prayer this morning, there'll be people on the sides of the sanctuary who will pray with you. Uh, so take advantage of that. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe.